What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible makes a whole lot of sense, and sometimes it's really a struggle. And we do struggle with these texts sometimes and hope that our conversations can help you enter into the readings a little better. Today, we're looking at the lessons for the fifth Sunday of Easter. We're still in the Easter season. And Easter is a season of baptism. You may have noticed that there are a number of ways in which during this season we celebrate baptism. Um, We have a lot of baptisms in Sunday morning worship. We've had confirmation, which is affirmation of baptism when our young people come forward and affirm their faith, their baptismal promises. And some services begin with a thanksgiving for baptism when sometimes we start the worship service with confession and forgiveness. During the Easter season, we often start with a thanksgiving for baptism instead. The reason for that is that Easter is a season, of course, when we celebrate resurrection. And in baptism, we sometimes talk about drowning to our sin and being raised out of the waters to new life. And so for all of us, Easter is a season of death and resurrection and remembering that we've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection uh, through our baptisms. And so we often like in the season of Easter to celebrate our own baptisms in a number of different ways. And so we have a lot of baptisms during the Easter season. We often start with a Thanksgiving for baptism. It's just a baptismal season. And one of the great things about Gloria Day is we have a lot of baptisms, which is a great gift that we have so many children in the congregation. And and every now and then have an adult baptism. And I think that we're going to continue to see more adult baptisms as we enter a time when people haven't necessarily grown up in the faith, but then get drawn into the life of a congregation. And you may have noticed at the beginning of baptisms now, we do a welcome to the font, just like we do a welcome to the table to say these waters are for all. Well, let's take a look at the readings for this Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Easter. And we'll do this in three parts with a little bit of music between the reflections. And in the space between the readings, take a few breaths, center yourself, or take a break, run your errands, whatever you need to do. We'll be here when you get back. Pastor Lois, you have the first reading. Why don't you give us a little background? Thanks. Uh, Acts 11 verses 1 through 18. This is a story um, that's very important to the life of the early church. It's very important to the apostles. And in fact, the story occurs twice in Acts. First, we hear when it happens. And then in Acts 11 that we'll read today, we hear 
Peter's summarizing what happened, and he goes through a lot of the same details over again. It must be important. And you'll also notice as you listen, there are two revelations in the story. One comes to Peter, and one comes to this man in Caesarea. They don't name him in this one, in this chapter, but in chapter 10, they they named him as Cornelius. And it's interesting that God is being revealed to Cornelius as well as to Peter and what that might mean for us. Why don't we listen to it and then we we will um, talk about it. This is from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners. And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Thank you. This event helped Peter understand God's radical inclusivity, that there were there was no one um, outside of God's embrace and that God would be revealed even to people that seemed um, foreign, even to people that seemed completely um, unaware of God's, the, of the history of God's salvation. Uh, they were experiencing the same power of God in their life. And it really opens up the church, the early church there to understand God is already alive in the world all over the place. And this resurrection didn't happen just for us, but for the whole world. Acts always is the story of uh, constantly showing these disciples so empowered, disciples that always looked kind of bumbling and foolish and unaware and not getting it during the gospel stories. Now in Acts, they, they get it. And they are constantly being shown new signs of God's power and are acting in God's power too. Sometimes I think the church reads that and thinks that just sounds 
crazy. I don't even know what that's like. But we keep reading these stories because there's a sense of saying the resurrection is real for these people. Something happened when they witnessed whatever they witnessed on Easter morning, and they continually are seeing signs that it wasn't just a single day's event, but it keeps bringing them into new life and to new insights. This understanding of God's spirit being poured out on people that we didn't think would have God's spirit is a new revelation, not just for Peter, but for the people that he was trying to convince back there in Jerusalem, and then all the the people of Caesarea that witnessed this and, and saw it. The story also shows us that there's been conflict in this early church, that there's already some sense of why are you going and eating with those people and um, a sense of not understanding or wondering or being confused by differences of theological opinion. And I always think that's interesting because mostly we look back and think, well, if we had been back in the early times, we all would have known exactly what to think and we all thought the same thing. Now the church is so splintered and we're all over the map and all over. The truth is, no, right from the beginning, there was differences of opinion. And sometimes you can see that there's a difference between what Paul would have been preaching and what Peter would have been preaching and the disciples in Jerusalem and the disciples outside of Jerusalem. But in in any case, they had to work through their conflicts, and conflict was a part of the church right from the beginning. And what this story reminds me of is that a lot of those conflicts come from saying, but shouldn't we always do it the way we, we knew before? That's what we – we should cling to that because that's that's where God was revealed to us. And a lot of times the conflict is, no, I'm, I think God's showing us something new here. We have to be open to, to that. I think that's a really interesting point because behind this conflict about who can be in and who can be out is about the Bible. And part of the church was saying – if you're going to be in this, you have to follow all of those rules that are laid out in the Bible. And people were saying, mm, I don't think I'm going to do the circumcision one, or I don't think I'm going to do the the food laws, and I can be part of the spirit without following those rules. And people say, but it's in the Bible. And so in from the very beginning of Christianity – We've been challenging things that the Bible says. So anybody who says, well, the Bible says this, so it means this forever, ultimately, that's not a Christian perspective. We've challenged Scripture from the beginning. From the beginning. Even the Jewish perspective. If you remember um, studying Old Testament, you'll remember that it was written over hundreds of years, and every couple hundred years, some new prophet or some new king would read read the scriptures and say, I think God's telling us something in a new way here and bringing in a new insight. So this is common in our understanding of what it means to be the people of God is that we constantly are hearing God um, refresh our memory, but also challenge us to see something new. At the beginning of May, uh, a prominent um, feminist theologian, Rachel Held Evans, died, and it's been really upsetting for the the people that loved her and loved her theology. But she was a person that had been um, raised in an evangelical context, very conservative Christian background. And as she grew of age and started reading scripture more carefully, she saw a lot of discrepancies and uh, things in scripture that confused her. And she was really challenged to say, I 
I wonder if God might be saying something different here and came up with this, not came up with, but was introduced to a whole beautiful, inclusive theology of recognizing God's power all over the world. And um, it's been a huge loss for the church that she died so young. She was only 37 when she died. And um, so many people are grieving. But I think especially because of that, she had that experience like Peter has here of saying, I used to think this, but now I think God is showing um, me some new awareness of grace and power and the power of the Holy Spirit, that God doesn't stop at our definitions of where the boundaries are. God's always reaching outside them. Let's take a little break and come back to the next reading. Our second reading today is from, again, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. This is, I think, what the third or fourth, maybe it's the entire Easter season season Mm -hmm. we've been reading from Revelation, our second readings. And so we've already said a lot about the background of Revelation, but I just want to remind you that this was written at a time when the situation in Jerusalem was pretty dire. It had just been destroyed by the Romans and the temple destroyed, and Christians were being persecuted. This was just a really difficult time. And Revelation offers this sort of cosmic vision of a battle of good versus evil, and ultimately good prevails in this other realm, even when it doesn't appear that anything good could come of what's happening in Earth on Earth right now. In this other plane, this other realm, um, good prevails. Um, This is the second to last chapter of Revelation, the second to last chapter of the entire Bible. And if you remember, the the Bible begins with Genesis and um, chapter 1, verse 1 is uh, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And now here at the very end of the Bible, at the very end of Revelation, we hear it's like creation is beginning again. So, Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us? Sure. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, 
write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Thank you. As I was reading this and preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about how every so often I have this impulse to sort of just like erase everything and start over again. And I was specifically thinking um, this is the time of year when we start planting our gardens. And I was thinking how it's it's a time of such promise. And I really look forward to putting things in the ground and watching them grow. And I have this these great ambitions of like tending the garden weeding and watering and everything. Putting up little signs with right. little carrots and the little and So I remember radishes. exactly what I planted mm-hmm. where. And usually by September, I'm ready to just tear it all out and I'm done. Um, the weeds have taken over. I'm tired of watering. I'm just tired of it. And the squash don't look very good anymore. <laughs> right. This and is why I just watch Darren do it all. Yeah, that's that's probably <laughs> a better strategy. Um, but I, I feel like it's – we're – we're blessed with winter here in Minnesota that there's like a time when we just get to reset, you know, like everything has to come out of the ground. And then next spring we get to start over again. More seriously, I was thinking about my coming out story and how I was terrified by the prospect of going to people in my life and telling them the person that you've thought I was all along and the person that I've tried to be all along isn't actually who I am. And and when I actually did come out, it was as I was moving across the country to seminary, to a new community, a whole new group of people, none of whom knew anything about my past. I really felt like I had a completely fresh mm. start and just like a clean slate. It was like this brand new start for me. I think that's what's happening in this text, that there's this vision of all the things that are burdening us, all the things, all the ways that we suffer, all the things that it feels like we just can't escape that are tearing at us and weighing us down. God says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be no suffering, no crying, no pain. I wonder how many of us carry with us shame or regrets or things that will follow us forever, that have followed us forever, that we feel burdened by and feel like we can't ever escape. And in this text, what we hear is a promise that there will come a day when all of those things are wiped away and all we have is life in God. I was thinking about the daily prayers. There's this tradition of prayer at certain hours of the day, which usually only happens in a monastery where people are dedicating their lives to to prayers. Um, but if you read them, the ones in the morning are always about starting anew, starting afresh, beginning again. The ones at the end of the day are kind of confession and, you know, asking for forgiveness for the day. And so, in those prayers is the sense that actually every single day God provides us with this opportunity to start all over, to to do it again. We don't have to come out or move to a new place or do some dramatic piece. We can just get up, open our eyes and say, I'm going to do this day in a new way. Every, I think in the in our red Lutheran hymnal, I say this prayer every morning from morning prayer. I think one of the lines is, 
Um, we give you thanks for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of our risen Lord who makes every day new. Mm. Um, and that is a great way for me to start every day. Another thing I noticed in this reading is how many times God says, see, see, I'm doing this, see, I'm doing that. Well, it's a vision. I mean, the person having the vision who wrote this, he saw something, but the rest of us are like, um, no, I see kind of old things around me. My garden looks kind of tired or my, my house or whatever. And, and I think God is saying, uh, look again, look again, every day is brand new. Every day you have a chance to be a resurrected living in the new promise and keep looking. There are signs of resurrection all over. That's great. Let's take a break and then we'll come back with the gospel reading. Welcome back. Our gospel reading for this Sunday is John thirteen thirty one through 35. And just to give a little context, it's kind of interesting to read this little story in Easter because it actually takes place before Jesus' death in the upper room where he's gathered with his disciples. So it's kind of a Holy Week story, really. But it comes on the night where when Jesus was betrayed and he's with his disciples and in order to show them what Christianity or what the faith really looks like, he takes a towel and he washes their feet. And so this passage that we are reading for today is Jesus' explanation of that sign that he had just acted out for them. Pastor Lois, would you read it? Yes. John thirteen thirty one to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Thank you. I remember one time someone asked me, are you a practicing Christian? And I thought that was such an interesting question because, you know, you think about um, being Christian as kind of an identity or this is somebody that I am in my being. But when you put it that way, are you a practicing Christian? It's like, well, are you actually doing things that show that you have that identity or that you're that you're part of the the faith and i think that's kind of what this passage is about is when jesus says here's what you need to know love one another 
that this is the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, and it's about love, but that's not a feeling. It's not an attitude. It's an action. Um, and Jesus shows that by washing their feet, this humble act of service that only um, servants or slaves would perform, never the leader of a group. Um, we have heard the story so many times. We lose probably the sense of the shock of what it would mean for the leader to get down on the ground with the basin of water. Peter said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And Jesus, I have to, because this is what it's all about. Uh, Jesus also acted out by going on to his death and the crucifixion. And this this passage has a lot of language about his glorification or being glorified. And for John, that means the crucifixion, that Jesus is lifted up and it's to be not the symbol of shame, but the symbol of love conquers everything. And I was thinking about how we love one another. In a sense, this almost feels like it's turned inward, like, okay, Christians, just love one another and uh, it it feels kind of exclusive, like, well, okay, we should be out loving the world, right? But it starts with loving one another and when I think about regular life with regular people – Actually, starting where you are kind of makes sense, you know, that if you can practice loving the people around you, not just your family, you know, or your friends, the ones that are easy to care for, but actually the people in the church who are a little more difficult or grumpy or so deeply wounded that they don't – they can't really ever – love you back or treat you in a way that feels right. They're just living from their, from their pain to practice loving them. And Jesus tells us that's actually the sign by which others will know um, who we are, that we are the ones who love each other. And there's um, examples of that is that um, the early um, outsiders, you know, who watched the early um, Christians said, see how they love each other. And and I think it's that. It's not just that they were good friends and everybody got along real well. It's that they loved even the hard parts and they, they found ways to be reconciled to one another, recognizing that that's really the commandment that Jesus finally gives us. I remember in seminary, a professor, uh, we were talking about how sometimes the Bible gives us confusing messages or mixed messages about, and so maybe this is a connection to the first reading that some parts of the Bible make it sound like we should exclude others, and other parts of the Bible make it sound like we should include others. Okay, so what do we do? And this professor said, always our lens should be, what does it look like to love one another, to love our neighbor? Because that's primarily the message. And Jesus tells us right here, love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So we bring that lens to our reading of the Bible. And if we ever come to a passage of scripture and think that the message is go and do something unloving to another person, we're probably reading the Bible wrong. And I think that's a really helpful, it gives us a really clear way to try to interpret scripture. Well, let's end there for today. 
we're really interested in hearing what you think about all of this. So drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you to Paul Friesen Carper for providing the music for us. And join us for worship on Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45. We have Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting. And they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.